Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Both pairs have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. All right, lads, so we've had some new developments. This is happening happening on a weekly basis as the government shift and move the goalposts. Um, the GEA is kind of reacting to that. So the new developments are that the pitches are going to be open this Wednesday. Uh, what date is that, lads? The 24th for adult training, non-contact exercise. Juveniles um, will be back on the 27th of June. Uh, 15 players can train in a designated area of the field, um, and that's in the Republic and with the six counties in Ulster. They are... Uh, allowed 10 players in a designated area so quite just a slight difference between the 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 government in in northern ireland and the government um in the republic and then it's brought back full contact training can take place on the 29th of june that's almost three weeks earlier than we were expecting on july the 20th and then competitive club games can start from july the 17th which is two weeks earlier than the july the 30th um July the 30th date. So, like, I mean, I, I, I don't know, Colin. Like, I mean, this is obviously great news that we're speeding things up a little bit. The threat is very, very low in the community. Most counties have fixed their county championships now. I wonder how easy is it for them just to move it all back two weeks? You'd imagine they all should, or at the very least, the counties who have, have gone with a knockout championship should absolutely be changing it to uh, a second chance. You know, I'm looking at Armagh, I'm looking at Tyrone and counties who've gone for a straight knockout. Uh, initially, I was thinking that the lesser numbers up in the six counties was just to try and encourage them to stop packing the defences so much. <laughs> <laughs> Give them less of an opportunity to put 15 men behind the ball. But 
the, the way I see it, though, we were talking about this, I think it was last week, and, you know, how difficult it's going to be going straight into the championship. It's almost like this is ideal in a way now. Like, I know a lot of counties have a different structure, but the fact that you're gaining two extra weeks, it'll just let people train a bit more and get up to that intensity, maybe play a challenge game or two, and it means when they're coming to championship, they'll be at a better standard, they'll be fitter, sharper, and probably less injuries. So I think maybe just keeping it the same and enjoying the two weeks extra will help. Right, okay, so you think maybe they'll use it for... I think Michael Dignan was on the Sunday game. I didn't see it, but he was talking about two extra weeks potentially uh, alleviating, you know, because I think the big dual counties are still finding a struggle in 11 weeks to Mm. fit... You know, six and six might be easier if you have two two sets of sixteen hurler hurling championship and football championship. It's not an even number, you know what I mean? So you're fixing one into five and the other into six. So these two weeks definitely alleviates a little bit. And it's interesting the Dublin um, County Board have been waiting to see would things um it, 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 you know improve and would the date in July be brought back? And it has been brought back, so they're they'll probably release theirs. Their um their structure this week, um Connor, because they are in that category where they have a lot of senior teams in both codes, and maybe John Horan's looking after Dublin, which would be very out of character for him. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that seems that seems to make a lot of sense under the circumstances. When you when you said there whether counties will bring their championships back by two weeks, I suppose it depends on what kind of structure they've they brought in the first place. So we mentioned Wexford in, in fairly, you know, in a good bit of detail last week. You imagine some common sense to prevail there and they, you know, ease their schedule a little bit to, so that players won't have four games in, you know, sorry, two games in three or four days. Whereas I know in Mayo, now they're meeting tonight, the, the fixtures committee are meeting tonight, but in Mayo, we, we were meant to start off with a league game on the, uh, first weekend back and then straight into championship. So I don't know whether that then they'll decide to go, you know, with a couple of extra league games or a couple of divisional cups and just leave the championship as it is. And as Colin said, kind of give, just give team that extra couple of weeks to prepare for the championship rather than moving the championship straight back. But, but Mayo is in an easier position because it wouldn't be as strong a dual county as, as Michael Dignan was, was saying with up with Offaly and maybe Cork and a few others like that. So I know overall it just, you know, we, we kind of might have foreseen that this was going to happen when, you know, ten, you know, ten to fifteen players or ten to fifteen people were were allowed to train together in in certain areas that the pitches were going to be open and early. But uh, yeah, it's just good news. It just means we're back sooner, and then we've just been waiting for that for a long time. So yeah, I can't wait. And another thing, Conan, that needs that should be mentioned is maybe a challenge game isn't the worst thing in the world because we've forgotten that the back pass rule to the goalkeeper from a kick out that's that's kicking in to um, club football. And that's going to be, you know, a rule in the intercounty game um, as well. And all the other rules that teams didn't really get a huge handle on earlier on. Obviously, the sideline going forward, you have the advance mark, all those things. But teams would have had some exposure to them. But the back pass to the goalkeeper, they wouldn't really have had any. And if you think about those, yeah, the, the counties that you mentioned with a straight knockout, like imagine you're getting screwed over because you're just not up to speed with these rules and yeah. your championship and your season is over. Yeah, like I, I just think that extra two weeks will be very, very valuable. And then especially like you mentioned Tyrone, you know, they're squashing their league together. They can stretch at it a little bit now. Um, like I actually forgot when you used to talk about the back pass rule, I was thinking, Jesus, like I just completely forgot about that. Yeah, so it's a just, new game here if you get used to. It just wriggled in, yeah. Just re- and like obviously club teams haven't been able to practice it um at all yet. You know, like I mean it hasn't been uh, it got in late, it didn't get in with all the other rules, it got in at the end 
of the the National uh, Football League, I'm fairly sure. So clubs would, and then we obviously are not the end of the National Football League. I'm not sure when it came in, but it came in um, after we was it after we closed down for the lockdown or close enough that it we didn't even see it um, working for for the intercounty game yet. Yeah, I am. Um, I just I wonder is there a case to be made, Woody, for just going back to the 2019 rules for this season, especially for clubs, given that like you know, the teams just haven't got it. I know that's not going to happen, but teams just haven't got a chance to get used to it. Like I'm just thinking of ourselves, my club in, in Mayo. We played one game before the before the lockdown, and that was in atrocious conditions in a divisional tournament. So for people, <laughs> you know, for people to get up to speed with everything, so you have to yeah. get up to speed with the conditions that like you know taking your temperature and all the rules that are required for COVID, and then. You have to get up to speed with all the rules that people like genuinely like Conan. I I hadn't even thought about this until you mentioned it. So just to to to, to ease the kind of um, ease the kind of uh, the demands that it's going to make of players and the, the brain freeze that that it's going to add for a lot of us. Maybe they could just go back to 2019 just for this year. Yeah. So John Horan has been talking. He says we've always said as an organisation that we would look at and take our advice from the health authorities and the government, and that we would be flexible. So no one can accuse the GA of not being flexible. Now, while I was highly critical of John Horan on the Sunday game, um, he did say that night that they would be flexible and this wasn't set in stone. But it just does go to show what the July 20th opening the pitches was, a, you know, it was a ridiculously conservative um, thing for him to do. But he said, we're bringing forward the date from which county boards can schedule fixtures to July 17th. And we will then that will reduce the compression of fixturing of returning to fixtures. And will also allow a little bit more leeway in terms of allowing matches to be played. So, yeah, listen, all very positive stuff from the GEA. When the government makes their move, they're not they're not uh, slow to to make their move. You know, behind it. I just wish they had kind of mirrored the government in the first place, and then we wouldn't have been criticising them on the show here, whatsoever. Another important uh, thing, Fergal McGill was talking in the Examiner. John Fogarty had the the piece. And he's talking about this self-isolation. Now, Conor McKenna obviously is a bit of, there's a bit of controversy about him. We'll get to him in a second. But this is something that we need to answer within the GEA. So he says, one, this is Fergal McGill. He says, one, um, this is uh, this is in a situation where a player comes in contact with a colleague who later tests positive, right? So they're not going to have to self-isolate for 14 days. So what Fergal McGill says, he says, one of the things that is very important to point out um, to you is there are close contacts and there are casual contacts, right? So in the general health sense, a close contact is someone um, who has got COVID. Uh, you have to self-isolate, right? So close contact, he says... However, if you're a casual contact, you're merely asked to monitor your own health for 14 days. So we're, he said, we're awaiting clarification for the government, but the likelihood is that in a sporting context, outdoors, people you have been training with will be considered casual contacts. And that's an important distinction. And it is. So teammates will be seen as casual contacts. Close contacts will be family members who you're, you know, over that 15 minutes, you know, in close contact with them. So... I'm wondering in a GEA sense, based on that, we don't have the exact answer to this yet, Conan, but if a player tests positive when the championship starts, his team won't have to pull out because his teammates are seen as casual con casual contacts who will only have a fleeting, um, you know, uh, contact with the player and the championship will go ahead. Is this something after the Conor McKenna case that I started thinking about... Yeah, is is this sort of right to be coming back just for the integrity of the championships more than anything? Because 
I know it's a, it's a low risk, but like like you say, the team won't have to pull out. I was thinking, imagine a Bally Bowden player or a family member gets gets COVID nineteen, and do Bally Bowden have to sit out for two weeks? You know, and then the no, championship he, no, he, or just... he's he's saying no. He's saying that they're casual contacts. And I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't read I didn't read this very well. No, but he said sorry, in a general. Yeah, if 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 you're if you're a close contact, you have to self isolate for fourteen days. If you're a casual contact, you just have to monitor your own health for the next fourteen days. So there's a difference between the two. Yeah, no, sorry, I, I did, I, I did get what you were saying there. Apologies, but what, when does it like become? I sort of like you know when does a casual contact become a close contact? Because I'm sure there are cornerbacks out there thinking, well, Jesus, mm. like I'm <laughs> I'm hanging out the back of somebody the whole time, and like you know, surely there is a line that is crossed somewhere along the way. And look, the the only the only difficulty I think with this is that we have a short window, it's twelve weeks. So if a team suddenly does deploy, imagine a few players got it. You know, whereas the Premier League, they're being tested every day and they're told if somebody has it, you're going ahead anyway with the games. We haven't really said that explicitly yet with the GM. No, they're waiting on government advice to actually make make a final decision on what happens in this um, instance. But from what Fergal McGill says there, they might be on the lines of the team won't have to pull out. Well, I'm reading between the lines there, you know, just yeah. from what quotes he made there. No, that's definitely that's definitely what he is saying. And I could just I suppose people would just like to know, especially cornerbacks, I'll be fine, I'll just be running up and down the wing. But uh, <laughs> you're keep... safe as houses, yeah. <laughs> Not minimal, min- minimal tackles being put in as well. <laughs> <laughs> Standing at the forty five, just but yeah, so people would probably just like to you know when when is casual contact, close contact. Yeah, exactly. Conor McKenna has been causing a bit of a stir over there. So he tested positive. He has no symptoms whatsoever. He is asymptomatic and he tested positive. They're actually retesting him to see was the test inaccurate mm. because he's perfect. He's perfectly fine. But it's the po- first uh, positive test at the AFL since the return and his team um Essendon they've pulled out so that game isn't going ahead it's been postponed indefinitely but Connor's been a a a, a bold boy because he's broken he, he broke his his quarantine he he went to the viewing of a house and he visited some family members when he wasn't supposed to we know these professional athletes are supposed to quarantine you know and stay completely out of of the public so that they can't get it and he broke that so the reckon Connor now he's going to get a lengthy suspension obviously It'd be interesting to see if the if the retest comes back negative, he'll still have broke the quarantine, and what would happen is suspension then. I imagine they would still apply, Willie. I mean, like I like I I don't know what the reaction has been like here, but it's been fairly um, intense in Australia, from from what I could see. Like there was um, there was a radio host in Sydney there. I think it was yesterday that saying he should be suspended indefinitely for costing the AFL hundreds of millions of dollars. This is obviously maybe blown a bit out of proportion, but the the fixture has been cancelled, obviously. And not only that, like contact training, I think for large groups has been banned for four weeks um, as a result of um, McKenna being the first player to test positive. I think they're gone down now to one full session, one session with the full group of players, every team per week, which is non-contact. And this is all a result of of Conor McKenna's, you know, positive test. So yeah. like the, like when I when I heard the circumstances, maybe I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, like I think he had tested negative five times since he returned to Australia from Tyrone. And maybe he thought, well, then I don't have it, so I'm okay to, you know, go out and about. But obviously, it's not just about him. But that's like that's why the measures are in place, you know, that that he, that he's not 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 allowed to be attending house viewings or visiting family and friends and stuff like that. So I think the results of that, um, the results of that test that you're talking about are due maybe today or tomorrow or something like that. So we, we might get a might get a, a kind of more detail then. But it looks like he's he's facing into a long ban. 
And if the house viewings in Australia are anything like the house viewings in Dublin, lads, that we've all experienced, you land there and there's about 50 people walking around the house. Like, I mean, you, you don't even get a chance to talk to the, the owner to try and impress them or anything. They're just people floating around the house. Just trying to slip the money of a handshake as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're trying your best, you know, to put on a good impression and show them that you're all right. And it's just too many people around trying to do the same thing. I can imagine them there, you know, when they test a positive and they have to do the contact tracing thing <laughs> and like his, his manager's sitting there and they just have, start having to admit to all these things that he's done. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. oh, my God. Jeez, yeah, he's definitely met, had a bit of a boo-boo. I think he trained with seven teammates last Friday and they're, they're testing, they're definitely keeping an eye on them a little bit closer or something like that. But we'll wait and see what happens with that. I'd love if he was retested and it, didn't actually, it wasn't actually positive at all. I'd take the heat off him. Mm-hmm. Um, Liam O'Neill, lads, it was on the RT website yesterday and Liam O'Neill interview was, was the headline interview. And I said, I must read this now. He's a leash man and he was a good president. And I must see what he's saying. And this is what he's saying. He says, the narrative from the media sometimes is that we're in control of it. When he's talking about the coronavirus, he says, we're not. This is happening to us. This is happening to the GEA. It's happening to our society, to Ireland, to the world. We're not in control of this pandemic. There is a danger that it's out there lurking. It's like going out into the dark as a child when you couldn't see what was out there. You were naturally conservative and careful. I think at the moment we don't know where this virus is. I was like, I've never, such melodramatic nonsense, I've never heard it all in my life. It's like, Liam, calm down. Like, I mean, if, if you were to say this at the start of March, I would understand. The, 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 the point of the matter is, is that Ireland, the world is not in control of it. Ireland is absolutely in control of it. Like, there's a Professor Sam McConkie from the Royal College of Surgeons, right? He said there's a one in a million chance of, of um, getting it in the community. He says there's a small number of cases every day now, and these aren't surprises to people. They're part of clusters that they're clearing up, you know, and they're 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 expecting these to happen. The actual chance of you getting this out in the community is one in a million. This is infectious diseases experts um, saying this. So like, oh God, I just when when you hear about people still kind of being all dramatic about this like that, that, that when you read that you might be running hide under your bed connor and be scared to come out or even look outside the window yeah yeah i mean it's it's probably a little bit over the top from Liam O'Neill, given given what we've given the numbers that we've all been subjected to you know over the last few weeks and the clear signs that the that the virus is being controlled i suppose the only thing i can say you know counter to that maybe is that you know at the weekend there was a few i think there was nine cases under the age of 35, possibly from the clusters that you mentioned previously. And Tony Holland is the, you know, saying that like, just, I think just a reminder, basically not to be taking the piss with the, you know, we we're, we're, in, we're in control, but we've done a lot to get it under control. So just be, 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 you know, be sure to, to advise all the guidelines to make sure that we continue to suppress it. Because like at the end of the day, while Tony Holland has given that advice, he's also part of, he's the chief medical officer and he's also part of NEFED, which has given the government clearance to, you know, for society to continue and sport to continue in the way it is. So, yeah, I, I think you just, it's, it's especially given all we've gone through, as you said, maybe at the start of March, April, you know, you'd understand that line of thinking, where, whereas everybody was a little unsure and the numbers were high and stuff. But as we've kind of, as we've kind of, um, you know, gone on and, and the cases are lower, as long as we're sensible about it, you know, I think that that sort of uh, maybe scaremongering is going a bit too far. But, you know, you can you can have a kind of a sensible attitude towards it. Yeah, I would say it is scaremongering. So Sam McConkie says, so the risk of someone in the street in the community unexpectedly showing up with it is around one in a million per day, which is great. 
Do you know what I mean? Calm down, calm down, people. Interesting, David McCaldrick was interviewed about referees and he said, like players, referees were being asked to weigh up the risks involved and make individual decisions based on their own personal circumstances. That opt-in or opt-out clause applies for referees as much as it does for players and everyone else involved in the GEA. And he's right, there's no pressure should be put on anyone, inter-county referees, players, but surely, Conan referees is a very, very low risk. You're out in the you're out in the in the open air. If you need to talk to a player, stand a meter away from him. You can still get his details. You don't be right need to be right beside him. I would say if a referee is pulling out, he's on the, a, a very kind of high scale of a, a bad warrior because it, it, it's it's minimal risk for a referee. Ah, uh, definitely. Like I, I think he'd coming to coach the contact walking past someone on a footpath you would queuing up into Lidl or wherever you want to go yeah and again like you're right not, not putting any pressure on them but when I saw that I was like ah you know come on I, I was thinking about players and trying to think which player is most susceptible and the only thing I think of was a corner forward and a corner back you know that's yeah. it mm. but a referee I think <laughs> would be grand and I, I, I don't know it's actually it's, it's a good opportunity I think as well almost the GA could bring in an experimental rule here if a player gets too close to the referee you have authority to give him a black card <laughs> you know and it's just a, a very simple thing to say look we're worried about the coronavirus if you get within two metres of him he can give you a black card yeah. if that's what the referee's worried about then do yeah. that well it's not really refer- referees usually call a player to him players don't want to go over and get a lecture players are happy to walk away then the referees usually come back number six come back come back <laughs> and you actually have to go over right beside beside him I think everyone would be more than happy with referees staying well the hell away from all of us yeah. can they don't call your name and your number will you they know your name well enough by now so no they still are, yeah but this, that's the frustrating thing referees and leech asking your name and making a point of it and they, they have to play the game but you know they know your name I just think you have to just write your name down show you the yellow card and move the game there's this kind of authority you know I'm in control here do what you're told come back number six come back you know this <laughs> Do you not know who I am? <laughs> oh, God, Jay. Well, you wouldn't pull that one out, but like, I mean, you wouldn't live that one down. I have to get on to this Derry uh, Club Championship, right? And the Derry chairman, he was getting loads of credit on Twitter there over the weekend, uh, Stephen Barker. So he did a piece with BBC and he's talking about the Derry Club Championship and he needs to be commended for the Derry Club Championship in an awful lot of ways. It's a great structure, it's given clubs a lot of games. Like there's like you were tweeting yourself, Con, and there's four groups of four, and every team qualifies for the knockout stages. Now you can obviously you could criticize that and say it's going to turn those four games into league games. Now you're seeded based on you know where you finish in that, but I think it's those first four games won't be proper championship football. I don't think, and and then all the same sixteen teams are now moved into the knockout. Anyways, it's given teams loads of games, which is grand. Do you only think I would be critical? of it is that they have their county final on the 11th of October, like the very, very maximum they could have done it. Now, I haven't seen any other county do that. Kerry is on the 4th of October, which at least gives your county manager the following weekend with the full squad before, you know, the National League resumes. And I was thinking, like a lot of the people, like the CPA tweeted about this, saying Derry is a strong dual county and county chairman Stephen Barker's approach is what's needed in other counties. Carol Kane, who's a journalist up in Derry, says he's the best county chairman in Ireland based on this. And I was just thinking, is that hypocritical from both the CPA and Cahar, who would be two very strong advocates of the club game and how, and listen, I am as well. Most people are saying the club, you know, is marginalised and they deserve more games and more time in the calendar year. They're not unique to that. But I was thinking, 
Stephen Barker is doing to Rory Gallagher and his county team exactly what club players complain about. And now these people are championing this. And like for me, I just don't think, like, okay, that's okay for the CPA. They are a club players union. They don't care about the inter-county game. But if you're looking at this objectively and you say, right, there's club football and county football in a county, and let's be fair on everyone, surely the latest that should be putting on their county finals is the 4th of October. I actually, yeah, I, so I agree with your point, and I think a lot of people are missing your point about the, the hypocrisy of it all. Like, you know, if you consider now the club players have weeks and weeks to prepare for a championship, like the county teams aren't even allowed to go back training until September. And like, yeah, as you say, then the county teams are getting one week in Derry to prepare for, you know, to going back to the inter-county season. That's not right. And then when people are saying that's great, it's, it's like they're not looking for equality. It's like they're just looking for the club to get everything. You know, yeah. it's doing the same thing as you say, the same thing they were complaining about. They're not happy because they got their way. But they were like, one of the things like, I can definitely sympathize with Stephen Barker is that he was given that window. And like, as you saw, like all over the country, like a lot of, a lot of counties are now being criticised. All the journalists are writing about it. And they're all saying they aren't using this window. Their, their finals at the end of September, their finals on the 4th of October. And like, they were actually given the window up until yeah. that point. And yeah. they're, they're using it. So I think, you know, maybe the GA should take some flack. Maybe they should have left a bit of well, a gap. Yeah, well, we flagged, yeah, we flagged this anyways at the time. This is going to cause a bit of problems. Now, Stephen has taken the whole amount of it. But like he made one comment, Connor. He says the Derry Club Championship is one of the best in Ireland. And the level these guys will be playing at um, laterally in a very competitive quarterfinal, semifinals and final in preparation for returning to the county team will be top notch. Now, there's a lot of people agreeing with that. And that's for me, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So he thinks that playing a club football is going to be preparation for county football. They're chalk and cheese. Like, I'm not going to lie, and I don't want to be disrespectful to club players, but there's no comparison between the two. They're not in the same ballpark. Well, I don't mean they're not in the same ballpark unless you're a county player marking another county player maybe in the club game, and then it's tough. But if I'm a county player and I'm marking a regular club player, I'm having a, an, an easy enough day. I'm delighted. So, like, I mean, I don't think it's good. It, it, all it is is match practice, which isn't bad, at a slightly lower pace. But to say that that's good enough for the county manager, and now we're going to give you six days after the and the intermediate finals are on the eleventh as well. So you'd have could have 10, 11 players all still in action on your county panel who'll go either on the beer after winning or after losing on the Sunday Monday, and Derry play Longford the following weekend in a do or die league game. Like for me, he shouldn't be getting championed by this. He should move it back to the fourth, especially now that the seventeenth they could start. He should alleviate a bit of pressure on Rory Gallagher and give him his full squad. You know, without lads being on the beer and without lads nursing injuries after a county final, he should give him that to prepare for the Longford game. Yeah, but I actually like that. It's probably he's probably right in the sense that like Derry aren't going to get promoted. Like down down play Leitrim and Louth, who are both bottom of the division, and if down win one of those games. Derry can't catch them because Down beat them on head to head. In the head to head, I do, I do take that point. But at the same time, when they're going into that Longford game, Derry aren't going to be thinking that. I know they're outsiders, but you don't know what's going to happen here. How Down are going to perform? Just landing in cold away to Leitrim. You look, you don't know, but I would say that Derry, Rory Gallagher is holding an outside chance of maybe. I, I do accept your point that it is. It's a, it's a long shot. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought I cut across Connor there. You oh, you're okay. Yeah, will, will Derry now be in a position to move it back? You'd imagine that they might be in a position just to move it back, Connor. You might know better. So, like, it initially been planned between 31st of July and 11th of October. So, if they were to move it back two weeks, 
you're giving the county team an extra, you know, they'd have three weeks to prepare yeah. them. Would that be all right? Yeah, no, that, that that's probably that makes the most sense now. And like, I still like, I still completely agree with Willie's point. Like, you know, it, it is screwing them over. They're only given a week to prepare. I just think that they're getting away with it, and that these league games don't matter as much. But, but yeah, just, a bit of a bit of balance would have been nice. And just to pick up on a point you made there, Willie, as well, is that like, like yeah, club championship is especially in a championship as competitive as Derry is decent preparation. But in terms of you, you made a good point there in terms of like a club footballer, American a county footballer, and the danger there is that like county footballers might go into uh, county footballers might go into county action having been played playing club football for that amount of time so being conditioned to marking to know club footballers for maybe six weeks or so so it's going to be a rude awakening say I'm just thinking of Ulster say for a cornerback in the Derry team that's been marking club footballers for six weeks and then he goes in and he has to mark a Conor McManus or something like that and he's like Jesus well where's this has suddenly jumped up a level so it's not the same but I suppose like the reason the reason he's getting so much praise in the first place because if you come like he made the, he maximised the window and Conor yeah. It kind of makes a good point there in terms of maybe the GA sort of stepped in there. He maximised the window. Where we were talking last week about other counties, Waterford and Wexford come to mind, that clearly absolutely did not maximise the window. And their prerogative all the time seemed to be, you know, to maximise the amount of time available to the the county players as opposed to the club players. But, like, you don't have to... One doesn't have... Just because, you know, Waterford or Wexford was imperfect doesn't make... Derry perfect just because it compares way more favourably to that. It's all about striking balance and hopefully the extra two weeks that are allowed to Derry will you know that looks good. That that Derry structure looks really good and it'll look okay for Rory Gallagher if there's three weeks between the county championship and Derry going back in the league. Yeah I think with the 17th start there is a chance for them to you know to make it fair on both you know but it just I just it struck me yesterday the attitude from a lot of the people from Derry that replied back to me is that they could not give a shit about the county um, Conan I know you're in division four and division three but I don't think that's a healthy situation in any county like I mean you know players saying to me I'm fully support him and you know we don't give a shit about the county team that's the terrible attitude to have about your own county team but GA people this is the flagship team in your no wonder they're in Division 4 and struggling to get out of Division 3 if that's the attitude yeah it's, it's unfortunately always been the attitude and like you know they're very poorly supported Derry when you go to games even though like we went to all in semi-finals twice in the noddies and you know not a big turnout very often and right. a lot of the time I remember standing in Celtic Park one time and everyone delighted that Cavan won this extra time game over Derry because it meant that the club football was back and that probably comes back to club versus county but yeah yeah, it's it's unfortunate another thing is the, the I don't know when when can you call a county dual a county and when can you not like Derry only has eight clubs so I don't know if it qualifies as a, as a dual county but it's, it definitely yeah. qualifies as a county that prioritises club over county well, it does. Like I mean, they're a dual club, but their 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 uh, structure for the hurling is taking much less weeks than it is for the football. So they're not as they're not as strong dual county. The CPA are over playing that, like Tipperary and Galway, Lim, no, yeah. Tipperary, Galway, Cork, Dublin. They're strong dual counties that are 50-50. Derry is absolutely not. They've eight, eight senior teams. They can run that off in maybe four or five weeks and give the football a lot more priority, which they are doing. So, like, I mean, I don't buy that for a second. It's interesting. Brendan Rogers was in, interviewed by Catter O'Kane in, in the Irish News. And he was saying, while he doesn't agree with this, he sees the solution to all this as the inter-county game being split from the club game. Now, an awful lot of gales will be up in arms about this, but this is the solution to this. 
Like, I mean, the whole problem with this is that it's the overlapping of players and it's such a messy situation. And he says, I think at some stage that will be the case. You will either play for one or the other. It'll go semi-professional. You won't be able to play any club and you'll just become a county player. You'll maybe play at your club until you get scouted for your county team. That would that would be the only way you'd ever uh, get around having fixture overlaps because they're trying to make the club campaign shorter and shorter to get it into the calendar year and then make intercounty shorter and shorter, but using the same players to do both. Like it wouldn't receive, to be honest, it wouldn't receive too much support because the general consensus from intercounty players is that I love my club and all this kind of stuff and that's grand. Like I mean, I'm not going to lie. If that was given to me as a club player. Or as a as a when I was playing, I might pick Port Leash the odd year. I might pick Leash the other another year. I might get the best of both worlds. I don't think it's the worst thing ever, um, Conan. I've I have a very strong um, feeling that you will not agree with this, but like I mean, it it it, it solves everything and it gives both intercounty and club. Imagine a club. Imagine club players having county championship on the Saturday night and then going to see their county team playing the next the next evening. You know, after having a few pints on the Saturday night in the middle of summer and then heading off to to cheer on your ex-clubmates, I suppose it would be at that stage. I, I think we could get used to this situation. Oh, and if it, just, it doesn't it doesn't solve club v county though. It actually makes that worse, I think, you know, and especially if you're the club who's developing them. I know this happens in rugby, you develop a player and you send them off, but that's not the GA, like, you know, and that's that's not what it's about. It's about like yeah. representing where you're from and like I, I genuinely, I think like uh, as much as a lot of clubs as well would hate it because teams get relegated and they lose their senior status and whatever because of this. But it probably doesn't make much sense the minute the county players are playing club league or trying to play club league and then club leagues are being delayed because of this. I think if the clubs played out their league and it was accepted that they weren't going to have the county players, the county season was played at the same time and then the club championship came in at the end. You know, like you, I'm sure you would be delighted with that. You could play with Leash until the season was over, and then you play championship with Port Leash. Yeah, that's generally what I did. <laughs> <laughs> what a great situation! But yeah, I don't know. Look, guys, we'll, we'll probably get dragged into championship structures and stuff now. I just think it's an interesting one that we've definitely mentioned on the show before. But it is the for me, it's the solution of all this bickering and all this kind of you know, how can we fit it all into one year? See, the GPA, Connor, was uh, sent a document out to members. So they don't want provincial championships in 2020. They want an open draw. And uh, look, I agree with that. The, the excitement of heading into provincial championships isn't the same as what it would be. It's a novel year. Let's try something different. And it's interesting that, you know, the clubs now get from July the 31st or July the 17th. Like, this is definitely uh, an opportunity to see how, that can play out because a lot of people would think intercounty season should end in the in the, the end of July and then run club, you know, from August until December. So we're seeing a bit of that. It would be no harm in seeing an open draw, wouldn't it not? Like it really wouldn't. It would add to the excitement. And I think that, you know, the, the, the anticipation of provincial championships starting would be nowhere near it would be from an open draw. Um other things they're looking for is that they're looking for county teams to be allowed train before September 14th. Of course, that'll go down very well with all the, the CPA members who will be losing their minds collectively about that. Uh, they don't want the All-Ireland competitions to run into 2021. Most people will agree on that. 
and they have said 17 players of 70% of their players have said they may not return to county setups because of the coronavirus concerns. So that's another bit of of news. I think that obviously the open draw is probably the most uh, newsworthy part of that, or maybe it's the maybe it's them complaining about the September 14th uh, deadline. <laughs> I think that open draw makes sense this year more than ever. I mean, like we, we've talked about, Conan, you definitely have talked about the imbalance of the provincial championships in the normal year. So, for example, this year you're looking at, you know, Cavan or Monon will have four games to get through Ulster, whereas I think Galway might have two to get through Connacht. And in this and all years where you have to squeeze the fixtures so much, why not Why not just do an open draw? I mean, like you have a yeah. complete free pass for 2020. Yeah. I mean, if, if the GA were going to announce tomorrow that there's going to be an open draw, I don't think you're going to have maybe some diehard provincial, you know, members of a provincial council or something like that might might be up in arms or something like that. But I I think the general GA community will be accepted, will accept it and also be excited about it. Do you know, as in like yeah. just give us another reason to kind of look forward to uh look for look forward to championship, maybe whether it's whether it's open job, whether it's knockout or whether it's Champions League format or something like that. As for the rest of it, um yeah, not looking for county teams before September fourteenth. I think they're. I think they could be right on that. I think that's going to happen anyway. Going to happen anyway. Yeah, they're going to allow before September fourteenth. I was interested. Well, you see, they're not insured. You see, I'd say the GPA yeah. wanted to be official so that they they will be insured. You know, I'd say everybody knows that it's probably going to be happening. And the other day, I was just. I was. I I found it interesting that seventeen percent of players said that because just anecdotally, I've seen a couple of. Um, players, you know, surveys of club players, um, you know, in Mayo and, and a couple other counties. And it's nearly overwhelming. I'd say it's over 80, if not 90 percent of players who said they would have no issue with going back to playing club championships. So with 17 percent, you're talking in one in five uh, county players. Uh, and you'd imagine that they'd be the, the ones that'd be most looking back to going forward to, to playing football. And obviously they have their reasons. But I just thought I, I found that figure surprisingly high. Yeah, the disappointing thing about the open draw canon is because this is the one only year. Another point that needs to be made is that it doesn't have to be approved by Congress. The management committee have an open goals here to be able to do this and and see what it's like and see what the excitement is like and see how the draw turns out. And they don't have to get this approved by Congress. This is an exceptional year and they've taken that power you know, to be able to decide that themselves. It's just, it's a shot to nothing. It's a great opportunity for them just to do it. Yeah. And you really worry that that shows that they're maybe just not that interested in changing it. And like, I'm not, I'm not getting into uh, championship restructures. Don't worry. But like the, the, the thing with the provinces that I always talk about, it's not even the structure. I think it's stupid. But like, it's it's how long it takes. It takes eleven weeks usually to finish off a provincial championship. Kerry played two games in that time. You know, like, and actually, if you if you tried this out, and I tried a different format. If it worked, great. If it didn't, great as well. You tried something, but. You could actually solve a lot of problems there. I'm talking club problems as well, because you're just taking up such a big window where people are just training endlessly with their counties and not even playing games. You know, like they should be looking at this because it would open up problems or solve problems to other other areas. Yeah, no, exactly. Come here, I don't know if you listened to the Brian Corcoran uh, tribute show last Thursday, um, you two not being exactly uh, hurling people, but he played seven years county minor, let's four years county minor hurling and three years county minor football. There is no one has done that. This is a world record, right? Because it's definitely not done in any other country. I, I was, I, I couldn't believe he played in a minor All-Ireland hurling final when he was 15 in his first year minor of four years. Like, I mean, this is just phenomenal. And added to three years county minor football, winning a minor All-Ireland football. Um, just an incredible stat, Connor. 
Oh, it's, it's crazy stuff. It's crazy. Not, not even somebody of your own caliber would have been called in to play minor at 15, Willie. So, <laughs> well, I'm, think, I'm thinking of Bino in Leash, who was like a phenomenal minor. Like, I mean, the best we've ever seen. And he played three years minor. He was 15. Now, Brian, obviously, birthdays might have been different. Um, maybe he played when he, maybe Brian played when he was 14, actually. And maybe he was 15 when he played in his second year. But anyways, Brian was a big lump of a fella. But it's still phenomenal because when you look at a county like Cork, who wouldn't exactly be, you know, low on numbers, maybe like Leash. Cork would be very unusual for them to play someone so young. You know, I, uh, absolutely. And I was trying to think back, like the reason the reason you'd, you'd be called up that early is either because you're immensely talented as Brian Corcoran was and went on to show he was, or you'd just be a freak of nature. Now, Brian Corcoran was big, but I, I, I doubt he was the type that, you know, when he was 14, he was lording it over everybody in his in his age group from a size from a size point of view. So it's 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 crazy. Like it obviously did Brian Corker no harm. It's it's not going to happen these days where there where there's fairly strict limitations on on the age of people that can be um that you know that that they can play certain age groups whatever. But it just it's another kind of um it's another just nugget in in what's um. What really was a like a remarkable career, probably the one the most remarkable the GA has ever seen. Yeah, the, he, he's talking about cornerback as well, which I liked, and he hated playing cornerback. And Conan, me and you did the the 1993 All Ireland final, and I could just remember his comment on poor Brian Corcoran chased around after Joe Brawley, and you imagine him just ha- hating that. But it was interesting what he said, and it, it reminded me of what Seamus Moynihan said when I had him on talking about Declan Brown, and I was like, you know. Seamus was explaining what a difficult opponent Declan was. And I was like, if, you know, Seamus, you might be tempted to give him an all, you know, punch into the back of the ribs or something like that. And Seamus was, God, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. And, you know, that wouldn't have been part of my game. You know, you go out and you play fair and stuff like that. And we know Seamus is a, a great gentleman of the game. And then Brian Corcoran said last week, he said, I wanted to play ball. And if I was going to beat someone, I was going to beat them fair and square. If I had to resort to pulling jerseys, I didn't want to play the game. That just wasn't my style. I couldn't look at someone in the face and shake their hand if I'd been dragging off them for an hour. My philosophy was go out, try and get in front and beat your marker that way. I, I just separates the gentleman of the game from maybe someone like me who would have no moral issues with pulling a jersey or, you know, there was stuff. And, or, you know, you've marked a lot of lads that have no problem sewing it into you. And then you see lads like Seamus Miner and Brian Corcoran, two pillars of the game, multiple all-stars, legends, and they have a huge moral issue with not being able to beat you with their talent to have to resort. It's almost a sign of weakness that they have to do that and they're just not interested in it. I find it amazing. I can't relate to it, but I find it amazing (laughs) that they're so great and yet so pure and clean and playing the game the right way. Uh, I was just thinking, spoken like two men here on cornerbacks. <laughs> well, they both separate. did play. They both played in there, sure. Yeah, they definitely sure both of them played yeah. cornerback. But I was, I was like, I was thinking about Owen Donahue. Remember that quote from him? He just like he goes and spoil the happiness of us. So it's like that's my cornerback. That's what I yeah. learned from him. Like he's not interested in playing the game. Not even interested in playing that cleanly. But maybe I'm a hypocrite because one of my favorite players is Sean Murray Lockhart, and I remember Conor Mortimer talking about him in his books, and they would always beat you by playing football. You know, so maybe maybe the best players just did that. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not them. Yeah, maybe concentrating on the ball amazingly is really a good tactic when you're <laughs> <laughs> playing as a defender. Right, lads, we'll leave it there and we'll come out back with a look at the newspapers. Conan Doherty was a fantastic analyst and I mean I really heed what he would say in your programme. I think Tyrone are going to win I'm going to go with them I 
as much as I, I predicted Dublin to win the All-Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team. Too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them, you know. Alright, lads, so we have a bit of an eclectic mix of pieces in the newspapers this week. So we're going to start with uh, Joe Brawley. And I have to admit, I've said this before, Joe Brawley is the first article I read every week because I actually enjoy it. It's uh, it's entertaining. It's always entertaining. And he's kind of, it's a bit like his last piece that was two weeks ago. He's talking about a little bit of everything. So the headline on this is Players Must Use Status for Common Good. Um, Rashford's childhood story this is the sub-headline Rashford's childhood story compelled powers to act now it's time for our heroes to emerge so that kind of comes up a bit later in the piece he starts off taking the piss out of Boris Johnson and that continues for a good bit then he he takes the piss out of our own government and their 90 minute uh, 90 minute uh, restriction when we go back into pubs but we shouldn't call them pubs we should call them restaurants it makes it a little bit clearer um, because it's more restaurant rules. But he's talking about the 90 minutes. He says, does the virus take 90 minutes to realise you've gone into the pub? Will there be a hooter on each table that goes off after 90 minutes? Something um, accidentally that the GA has steadfastly rejected. If the drinker goes to the loo, is the clock stopped and the time deducted? I think that's a very good one. He said, is a cigarette break deductible? Um, will there be a table monitor to enforce the rules? Uh, what if the pints are only half drunk when the hooter goes? What is the sanction for going overtime? And like he's taking the piss and having a bit of a laugh and it's it's entertaining enough. My understanding of it is, is that pub and you've got, it's like booking a table in a restaurant and somebody else is coming in behind, coming in behind you and you're booked in in 90 minute slots. So they probably, other than the people who are booked in at the last slot, they'll have a chance of maybe getting an extra hour, but everyone else will be moved on. So I don't know if we want to discuss it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Spain next Tuesday, lads. I don't have to deal with any of this. It's all everything's open in Spain. I'm going for three weeks, and when I come back, this will have this 90 minutes thing will have completely lifted. I don't know if you've put any thought into this. A lot of people are saying they're going to end up being pub crawls and stuff like that. I don't think that, there's only about four pubs in in Port Leash that can can actually apply um, or that can, you know that can qualify for this. So I don't know. And and I'd, say, <laughs> I'd say the, the demand will be through the roof. Well, there's only three in the middle of the town. There was one outside the town. The demand will be through the roof. You'd be lucky if you get a slot in one of them. You know, never mind trying to book a slot in all of them and doing a crawl. You can't just land in. It has to be book. You have to re- uh, reserve a table like you would in a restaurant. Did, did you ever <laughs> you pick up on that there? <laughs> did you ever do a 12 pubs pub crawl at Christmas, Willie? And did you ever yeah. see the amount of rules that go into that? So whoever organises that normally, just organise your next pub call for the next three weeks because they'll be well on top of it. Right, OK. I'm, like, I'm going to move off that. You don't, you, you don't feel comfortable talking about drinking. Maybe, you know, listen, you know, it's not a healthy pastime, etc. Um, then he starts talking about the point that's in the headline, right? So he says, I've made the point over a decade now that the GA's footballers and hurlers need to be more outspoken. They need to call out injustice when they see it, get involved in activism and politics and use their influence for the common good. OK, I'm going to stop it there because he starts talking about the GPA then and talking about how the players are so kind of, you know, bland and they don't want to say anything. And I don't know, Conan, if players, why don't they get involved in things like that? I would imagine they've enough on their plate. 
and they don't want it because like politics has become a little bit toxic now as well. So you're either a Sinn Féinor or you're a Fianna Gael or a Fianna Fáil and they all hate each other. And does a player does, does a player really need all that shit as he's playing into county football? I think that's the reason. It is unusual that not that many of them ever really say anything, you know, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Well, I remember, like, I interviewed Brawley on St. Patrick's Day, actually, so just before everything locked down, and he, he put it perfectly. Just to, He was talking mostly about the North, but he meant in general, in politics, like, everything's divisive, like, and it's all, you support a team, basically. He was like, you know, your team's Palestine, my team's Israel, you don't care yeah. about what's happened before, that's who you support. Your left wing, your right wing, you don't care, that's who you support, and you get behind it, you know, rather than actually weighing things up, and maybe that's where some footballers don't feel comfortable with them, you know, <laughs> but I, I can absolutely see what you're talking about. I don't like the idea of... Um, I, when I first read his headline, I thought, oh, come on, Joe, but his piece was a lot more considered. And I thought it was like saying these players need to push stuff. Like, and I don't want players to be pushed into things that they don't want to. Because I was thinking about the you know, the, the Michael Jordan documentary and he was under a lot of pressure to... Yeah, I think it was to weigh in behind a conservative or, sorry, a Democratic leader. Yeah. He was black, but he was like, I just like playing basketball. He didn't seem to care. He gave it much thought. Yeah, so now well, I, have to, I have to say, Jordan refused to back a Democratic black um, uh, person who was running for who was who was running, and he, the, his opponent was a conservative racist. So Michael Jordan probably should have given <laughs> you know the Democratic uh, <laughs> candidate a bit of a should have rode in behind him. So the other guy was a clear racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know who his opponent was, so that's that's a very good point. Willie will take it on board. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like but you know you know Brawley's on form when he's just he has these like random drive by shootings in his article. Like he's just talking about he just has a little swipe at Sean Kavanagh in the middle of it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. about him talking about the UK and oh, it's such a shame. Like as I know we criticize Brawley more than anybody, but such a bad decision Marty to get rid of him. He shouldn't have been on for that replay. But for uh, God's sake. I like I love reading Brawley. If listening to him, I can I can take or leave now. If I'm being honest, especially with other pundits, yeah. And then reading his articles, he's very very entertaining. But I don't know, dominating uh, dominating, you know, talk on the television I got a little bit old for me. If uh, if I'm being honest, but his pieces are excellent, even when it's a little bit about nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's just funny. Yeah, he had a great line about Boris Johnson. He said he's uh, he's going. He looks like old Mulligan will in ten years' time. Yeah, that was, a good <laughs> yeah. That was he loves Owen Mulligan, doesn't he? He absolutely he loves Owen Mulligan. But yeah, that's it. So he, 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 you know, he used the example. Imagine Henry Sheffin calling out the government on inequality, or Bernard Brogan campaigning for large-scale government house-building scheme. I suppose when he, he names, they're just completely uh, two examples. But you know, you 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 never see any of that. You know, you just don't ever see any GA player interested. Maybe they've too much underplayed and they don't have time to be getting involved in any of this. I don't know, but it's, it is a bit unusual that you don't ever see them um, coming out with much. I think Brawley's was the only GA piece in the Sunday Independent this week. Himself and O'Rourke seem to be alternating week on, week off. Um, the Sunday Times have a few different pieces um, this week. Um, Dennis Walsh he kind of has a bit of an analysis piece on you know where county boards are. And, you know, making the hard decisions for club players. The headline is things could turn ugly. They already have, uh, Dennis. Um, then the sub headline is county boards are being asked to make hard decisions. And some cases club players will suffer. I don't want to get into that, lads, or we're going to be repeating what we kind of said at the start of the show. But there was one piece in it that I'd completely forgotten about. 
And he said Croke Park regards um, that approach as impractical. Uh, anyways, he says in January 2008, for example, it was decided that at, at a special congress that a charter would be drafted annually by county chairmen on behalf of clubs and signed by incoming county managers before their appointment. It was envisaged that, envisaged that this document would protect the interests of clubs by forcing inter-county managers to pre-agreed concessions about the availability of players. The practice still exists. The charter must be lodged with Croke Park by January 31st every year and it must be consistent with GEA rules. I just found that, like I remember that going on at the time and I'd completely forgotten about that they're still doing it. But it's like the turkeys voting for Christmas. So uh, a county board chairman interviews a county manager, often outside managers, agrees expenses. Some of those expenses might just be straight up mileage expenses. Some might be a bit more um, extortionate than that. You know, like, I mean, can the county, when the 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 county manager tells the county board chairman or the committee or whatever what they need to make it successful how can they be paying them and then not giving them what they want do you know what i mean it's it's just it's silly connor like i mean county boards when they're hiring these men and often putting a lot of faith in them and paying them some money how can they then dictate to them? Where because the county the county managers say, well, look, you're not giving you're not giving me the conditions that I need to be successful. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. And then now that you say it, I think did the charter come up in a, in a fairly controversial um, inter- interview with a, with an intercounty manager fairly recently? I'd like the name escapes me, but uh, it it it's just when you mentioned the charter there because I completely forgot about it until then, until just thinking about it whether it was in the last couple of years. But it just kind of like I found some interesting things about that piece in terms of like how in in the in the same spirit of the charter being kind of ignored that like you know they're they're trying to um they're on about maybe will county teams be punished for for training before the 14th September and he says no and like Dennis Welsh kind of points out that along those lines as well and that like say they brought in rules for overseas trips in recent years and that 17 were investigated only 3 were sanctioned and he said that the defense pleas were laughable and like I was just thinking back to that time the dubs went to France and they classed it as a cultural trip. Yeah. So, you know, whether like whatever, whatever charters or whatever punishments the, 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 the GA can bring in, it's like it's like they're interpreted in their own ways by, by county boards, maybe because they're not harsh enough or something like that. Yeah. So un- unfortunately, Conan, county boards are not strong enough to deal with these situations in a lot of cases. And Croke Park have washed their hands of them and said, look, there's too it's too, you know, complicated for us to start, you know, telling 32 county boards how to run you know their championships or whatever they've washed their hands of it so th- this is this is not unless Croke Park start you know improving this situation and taking some of these decisions that like I said last week unless they had like some sort of complaints officer who a county board could you know ring and say well look or even a a, 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 a club delegate could actually ring and say, this is the situation in our county. Can you intervene here? And then, you know, the, the Croke Park official will decide whether that's fair or within the, you know, the rules. And, and it, without the intervention from Croke Park, county boards are not able to fix all these issues themselves. Mm. I mean, it is complicated because you mentioned them paying that manager. Like, you know, so they are invested in that county, that senior county team doing well if they're paying that manager. Yeah, they're that really, yeah promised them and like they probably think it's worth it in the long run if the county team does well then it'll affect things and, and like you know, we talked about Derry earlier Derry's an extreme example like I remember working on Donegal and 
everybody was just behind the county. Like all the clubs, I remember like a, a team, Maville, who had no, they didn't have one county player and they did a fundraiser in the club and all the money was going towards Donegal training expenses. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I was trying to imagine my club doing that, especially like we had a couple of county players and we had none just handing over money from a fundraiser for the good of the county. And like that happens, like if some managers can come in and capture the imagination or some teams can do that and, and people roll in behind it. And then suppose you're like, you know, Jim McGinnis got so much criticism for the way the club was run in Donegal, but sure everybody was rolling in behind for a while. Yeah, they were, but the, the clubs were almost given an ultimatum by McGuinness. It was like, either give us this time or, you know, the county can't succeed. Because, I mean, I think one year Donegal played some club matches. I think it was the year they were hammered by Mayo. They played some club matches throughout the summer. And that was the norm in every county up until then. And then McGuinness got all club matches shut down during the summer. And then, of course, we know the copycat nature, Dan Conan, of yeah. every every county saying, well, if Donegal are doing that, I'm not going to let them get a leg up. And now all of a sudden, that's that practice is completely gone now. You know, so this is one of the new potential championship structures, whether to bring that back, whether to mix the two of them in together or whether to try to split the two and they don't mix. You know, like, I mean, mm. it's just as 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 recent as 2014, 15, when this happened with McGuinness. You know, like, I mean, and that was, for me, for my memory, that was the start of counties completely shutting down club football, you know, during inter-county season. I suppose the, the only thing I was going to say about that, Willie, is that like I, I remember that well in terms of like, so after after 2012, I think when Donegal won the All-Ireland in 2012, they played a ridiculously condensed uh, championship in 2012. And I think a lot of, I remember Carl Lacey getting a fairly serious injury. I think a lot of other players got, got injured as well. And then 13, as you said, was the following summer when they got hammered by Mayo, having gone back to the previous schedule and McGuinness being critical about that. And then 14, I'm pretty sure they went back to something similar to 12 again and it being implemented in other counties because I'm pretty sure that in 2014 because uh, it was year Mayo got to the semi-final that year and our championship being you know our championship being changed at very short notice to talk about three or four days and I suppose at the time while it wouldn't have been used in the county the general perception was that like well listen Donegal are doing it top, senior, top teams are doing it this is what you have to do to, to succeed yeah. so it just kind of goes to show that you know, as you said, like the cut, the copycat nature is so prevalent and it was so prevalent back then with regard to the kind of debate between club and county. Yeah. And people forget again, because the inter-county players are seen as enemies now. Like if you're mixing it in between, like the Donegal situation, inter-county players are playing a game every weekend for, I don't know, four or five months, you know, which is not easy for amateur players as well. You know, club players will get a break. But inter-county players just never will never get a break and they'll be expected to do it. And then they'll start maybe making up an excuse or two to their club because, you know, to give the legs a rest. And then that causes a huge kind of controversy within the club as well. So it, it's a very messy situation, lads. And maybe I'm maybe Brennan Rogers. Actually, I'm not going to say Brennan Rogers because he doesn't want that to happen. Maybe his suggestion of what might happen is the only solution to all this madness. Um Anyways, there's another piece in the Sunday Times. We'll have to speed up a bit. So this is, it's called The Splice of Life. Timmy Creed talks to Michael Foley. Michael Foley, this is the first piece we've we've talked about from him. Um, it's usually Dennis Walsh just on his own, actually, in the, in the Sunday Times. Timmy Creed talks to Michael Foley about quitting hurling and then returning to write a one-man play about the sport. So we had a fella going away to the circus, um, Roscommon footballer, last week and this week now we have um, a hurler who gave up the game and starts he's starting he, he writes plays he writes theatre plays so 
this isn't my cup of tea, lads, I'll have to tell you from the start. Um, I think he probably figured that out after after <laughs> reading it. So Timmy Crees is a Cork uh, footballer and hurler, and he says when, he's doing a collaboration at the moment with Dermot Ling. So he says when Creed and Ling collaborated a film um, to film a piece for the Mount Shannon Arts Festival this month, they began with a deep bond between father and son and stretched their minds from there. One shot captures Creed carrying Ling from the churning sea and laying him on the beach before collapsing him and collapsing on him, exhausted. The image asking how emotionally naked any man can make themselves in their relationships. Now, this is testing me out now straight away when I'm reading this. Then it goes on a little bit more um, and the next paragraph starts. The role of the hurley goes far beyond the mere prop. It can represent the, the linchpin of man's relationship with his son. It can link man to the land, sea and sky. Now my temper's starting to get up a little bit when I'm, when I'm reading this. And then it continues on about five, li five lines down later. This is a quote from uh, Timmy Creed. He says, can we reimagine what the hurley means? By bringing the hurley into a different circumstance, can we change how you see it? Can we change the relationship between how we use it as opposed to being fixed on how we use it? That, can that spark a reimagination of the self? <laughs> if we can arrange that context of the thing you take for granted, could that allow a different context on ourselves? Now, I, did, I'm, I was done at that stage now. So, like, I mean, this, this thing, Timmy, I, I've no don't want to disrespect Timmy that's not my cup of tea at all and you know each to their own and I looked at a preview of the splice uh, um, play that he did it's a one-man play and it looks kind of interesting enough I just I don't I have no interest in all that really deep talk and like I, I know Gizzy Ling very well not very well but I worked with him in off the ball and I really like Gizzy but he's goes on with that kind of deep stuff and Gizzy knows I've no interest in listening to it I've no interest in reading about it either so I don't know what kind of take he have on that piece lads I kind of I gave up with it. that was all that was that's all too much for me now is that why, why I was about to say is that why Gizzy posted a picture on Twitter a video on Twitter of him surfing with a hurl in his hand there yeah, yeah. I think it is yeah I saw that video actually yeah, yeah. Say that, that, but now this that, that that was just the intro to the piece. The Dear Midling connection is about another thing. You know, the, I think the, the piece is about that splice uh, uh, play. And he's brought it around to GEA clubs and everything. And it was doing pretty well until the coronavirus uh, shut it down. But I don't know. When you read all that stuff, changing your relationship between yourself and the hurl. And oh, no, the, no, the, the image asking how emotionally naked any man can make themselves in their relationship. Uh, Come on, I, I thought also Come on. Gleason had already changed his, his image with the hurl. Like I thought he recreated it. <laughs> but like I, I did, I checked out that that short film, or uh, must have been a clip from the short film. And yeah, I was I was sort of watching blankly, and it was I think Jeremy Ling's carrying Creed out of the water, and there's a poem being read over the top, and I just had this expression on his face, thinking, "Why is Willie making me watch this?" <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to trying to figure out again what what is your angle and I know that you're definitely not enjoying this <laughs> yeah. but like yeah I, the, it's, it's just it's it, again like I mean each to their own and best of luck to him I hope the play goes well and I'd actually go and see the play it's just there's there was too much kind of deep stuff written in that now for me to to enjoy that piece. I think we you, might leave leave it. You that gave up on it too early. You gave up on it too early, Willie. If you read on, you'd find out he was going skate skateboarding down the Connor Pass at fifty kilometers an hour yesterday. Oh, for very good. World Skateboarding Day or something like that. Now, so we're, just, now we're talking, Connor. We're more yeah. shallow. Let's let's go back into the shallow. I just I just hope he wasn't carrying the hurl when he was skateboarding down the Connor <laughs> Pass. Anyway. 
There's a, there, we'll, we'll move on to the Irish Mail on Sunday, lads, um, and they've got a few different pieces. If, if, uh, Mark Gallagher talking to a fella called Michael Kennedy about lacrosse, and the headline here is Net Gains, and its subheadline is, with its links to hurling and an extended build-up to Limerick staging the World Under-19 Championships next year, lacrosse has, a de- has definite plans for expansion in Ireland. Again, not a piece that m- majorly interested me. I, I would be more interested in expanding hurling in Ireland than, than lacrosse. But I was interested to read that um, lacrosse has been played in Ireland in the late 19th century. The first club founded outside Belfast in 1872. But in mid-1880s, the mid there were 13 clubs, mostly around Belfast and County Down, although there was also a couple operating in Dublin. In 1886, the men's national team went on a two-month tour of, east, of the east coast of the, of the States and Canada. Um, I never knew that. So at least you learn something new every day. Lacrosse has a has an owl stock history here, lads. But I don't know lacrosse taken off in Ireland. What what's your what's your thoughts on that, Connor? An easy one for you. An easy an easy one for me. I just didn't realise how prevalent it was, or how are the efforts that they were making to to kind of um, progress it in Ireland. Until I read the piece, they were saying that they they planned to get it into a lot more schools. But I think that. Uh, or that they were making a lot of progress with it until COVID intervened. I'm just like my 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 memory of lacrosse or my experience of lacrosse is limited to watching American Pie, and I can't remember your man. Um, references that in the piece as well. Oh, yeah. striker. Yeah, striker was it? Yeah, and it, like it's it, it's just it's absolutely vicious from um from my memory of it. Possibly, possibly more vicious than um than than the kind of most like. Um, competitive uh, uh, hurling game you can think of so I don't know I think I, I'm more with you Willie like that um, maybe that you know develop hurling in, in kind of areas where it needs developing as, as opposed to lacrosse but like if it, if it ended up being broadcast I, like Irish teams playing against each other being broadcast on TV I'd definitely watch it for a while anyway yeah I don't think yeah, people can't get behind Super 11s they won't get behind lacrosse yeah <laughs> we, we, we can't get Derry football fans to get behind our county team never mind get, get people to get behind lacrosse then Michael Clifford has a very good piece with a friend of mine Catter Healy the headline here is Judy of Catter you hear see what he did there with his name or oh, that's not Michael Clifford writing the headline said the sub headline then is Leash star Healy took um, took on his new role with CPA out of a passionate belief that the playing rights of all GA members should be prioritised. And uh, yeah, he's he's on the executive now in the CPA along with um, so Kieran, or Kieran, Kieran Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald, Kieran Fitzgerald from Galway. Yeah, so two very, very um, successful club players after joining that. So it was interesting. He's only 34 and he in at the end of this year, he sustained a cruciate ligament ruptures in both of his knees over the last three years. And his cartilage operation he went he underwent in April was the third procedure on his left knee in inside the past twelve months. So he's been uh, Carr's just been he's had shoulder injuries, he's had teeth knocked out, he's a pure uh, warrior. Um, he's been living in London the last ten years and still playing with Port Leash every year and still playing either leash hurling or leash football. So, so in- incredible love and incredible commitment. Um, for Gaelic games that he he has given. Um, there's no doubt about that. A couple of interesting points he made, I thought, and we don't get into too, into it too much because, again, a bit of a crossover. He says, you hear that thing from county lads a lot when they're asked why did they not continue on with the county at the end of their career? And they often say, I wanted to give a year or two to the club before I finish. It's almost, it's almost like saying, well, I've not given anything to the club for the past 10 years, and that's just dreadful. It is, it is kind of the thing that's you know that's said but then again soccer players that say that when they retire from international duty or something as well I think it's just 
more a cliche canon, I think maybe then Carr could have a point because they haven't given anything back to, will haven't given too much to their clubs their whole career. Yeah, he'll probably be given the same amount from London and stuff and the, the championship, but he's actually, like, that's a really good piece as well written and great quotes from him, but the, uh, like, he's a perfect man to be joining in that position because, like, remember you interviewed him, I don't know, it was last year, two years ago, and just the commitment he has for club management is incredible, and I think he was talking about like winning the championship at Portlaoise and having to board the plane that night and being really angry, like you know, because you can't just tell your boss in London that you have a hurling match. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so it's actually it's great to someone like that with all that experience. And even just I think that's a good example though, like, you know, I haven't heard anybody point that out about talking about giving more time to the club. It's a it's a good sort of outlook he has there. Like so having someone like that is going to be really valuable. Yeah, he makes another point. He says, if you're a 17-year-old and you're called up to your senior squad, your hero since you were 10 is probably your club's county player. I'd say he's talking about me here, lads. Um, and then you, <laughs> he says, and then you get to the point where you train away for six months, but he's never there. He never plays any of the league games. He never trains with you. And you don't get to see him until August or whenever, when the county gets knocked out. Again, I never really saw it from that perspective. Um, you know, a club player just wanting to play matches with you know, with the with their hero or whatever, and they don't get to do it until maybe a knockout game or two in in August. And again, you know, under with me talking about the student being split, he'll never get a chance of doing that. But like, I mean, I didn't really think of it from that point of especially a younger player going, "Geez, I'd love to play a few league games with him." And then when you get up to the senior squad and you're delighted you made it, he's actually not. He's actually not around. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, the the only thing like he. He, he, he kind of had some very interesting like and, and very kind of uh, progressive views on kind of how, you know, how, how county players could spend more time, you know, with their clubs. But I, like I'd fear not everybody is probably as dedicated to their club as as Carr is, as kind of he's exemplified through, you know, playing for Port Leash while he's in London. And I, I think he had the idea of kind of maybe that players are more based with their clubs and then that they're kind of lent to their county teams. But like, I'd have like, a, yeah, I'd be afraid that that idea is too idealistic that like county managers are going to demand for far more of, uh, uh their, their players time than, than, than Carr might be envisaging. But it's interesting. There was, there was a good, there was a good line at the end. He was saying that his, his girlfriend is Italian and that she, you know, she kind of gets confused when a uh, car is trying to explain the difference between club and county. And he was trying to say that she doesn't get it because he's Italian. And I was kind of thinking, well, there's thousands of people over here that don't get it. And we've been playing GA for years. So. Oh, I know. Listen, sure. I've, I've tried to explain to Itzy the teams I've played for and she has no idea. Like I said, well, listen, Port Leash is a town. I've played for them. I've played for Leash as well. It's not hard to understand. So then she I could go up to Port Leash training. Are you playing with Leash? Are you training with Leash now? Or the Leash Masters? Or is it... I, I look. I look, at, and, and then I'm just losing my. I'm losing my patience at this stage. But I can it's imagine. It's the media team, no? It's a... <laughs> oh yeah. Then I have to explain to her the tears. I used to play with Port Leash at a high level, but and then is Leash a higher level than that? Yeah, Leash is a higher level. Oh, listen, lads. Yeah, you, you have the amount of times we've had these conversations. Um, then Philip Lanigan, lads. This is the last piece. Is with David Brady, and uh, Jesus, David Brady's getting some mileage out of these phone calls, lads, isn't he? So it's a full double page spread. Um, there's people who will still get a call for a chat. I don't care if that takes me until August. That's the headline. And the subheadline is, as we exit lockdown, David Brady isn't quite ready to wrap up his much lauded initiative of contacting society's vulnerable members. Now, I thought this was a nice news story at the time. Um, we're now coming out of lockdown and we're looking forward to matches. I don't care if David Brady is ringing Al people around the country still. And I'd actually go so far as to say, if you've got an old person in Cork 
and the wife comes in and says, here, David Brady's on the phone. I would say now that the pubs and restaurants are going to start opening. The owl lad like, might say, Jesus, tell him I'm not here. I'm going, I'm going to go down to the pub. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus, is that lad ringing here again now? Come on, we're, we're out of it now. I have things to do. I'm not I'm not sitting in the house all day. So I don't think the timing of this piece is it's not for me. So I didn't read it at all. I just read the headline. It was a lovely gesture by Brady. He deserved a lot of credit for it two months ago. Put like two pages on that now. Conan, I'll go to you first. <laughs> Imagine the fear for that old man in Cork when he reads that headline saying, I don't care if it takes until August. <laughs> I will find you. I will bring you and I will find you. <laughs> oh, it's a classic though, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, again, there's not much more to add to that. Like, I mean, respect to him for doing for doing that at the time because he was he's the one that started it. And Brady is a good lad. He's not a good pundit, but he's a he's a he's a good enough sort of fella. But at the same time, come on, the owl lads now at this stage have better things to be doing, no? <laughs> Imagine uh, uh, Alan Brogan probably hoping he would shut up because he's putting pressure on him to keep doing the same thing. Tommy Doyle as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, we'll move on to the Sunday World lads and Pat Spillane. Um, it's the only piece in Pat Spillane. I think or Sean McGoldrick has a bit on Conor McKenna. Um, that we've been talking about already. So Pat Spillane has a, a better piece this week, to be fair, he's not going to give out too much about it. So he he's uh, he's talking about uh, the big challenges facing the GA right now are number one, fix the county fixtures, number two, fix the club fixtures, and number three, the financial shortfall. So they're all very obvious. Um, he starts off with the county fixtures and he says they ought to have scrapped the provincial football series and had a once-off All-Ireland uh, based on Champions League format with counties being drawn into eight groups of four. I think we all, we've all we all already have agreed, agreed with that. And then he say, says, seeing as club games can now resume from July the 17th, there's no longer any valid excuse for not re, re, retaining the back door in football. I don't see why the GEA don't also opt for a restart inter-county competitions two weeks earlier on October the 3rd. Yeah, the GA have said that they're not going to do that. But again, more sensible stuff from Pat Spillane uh, this week, Connor. I think. Yeah, than usual, I suppose. Like Pat was kind of uh, contradicting himself there a couple of weeks ago about his views on whether John Horne was right or not for, for for the interview that he gave in the Sunday game. But uh, he just like as you said there, we've 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 kind of gone over it already. I mean, like the open draw stuff. What the open draw would do in, in Pat Spillane's idea, anyway, would give. It wouldn't like it wouldn't be straight knockout, and we'll give counties, I think, a minimum of of three games. So I think we're we were kind of thinking that like of this of all years, like the GA is a free pass. Why not? Why not do it this year? I'd definitely be on board with him with that. And he had a couple of interesting things about the the finance. I I tend to agree with him to a certain degree where the GA is kind of undersells itself. I think we've we've had we, we've talked before about maybe that they they could do a you know with launching the championship in a better way than they normally do. But he would be he, he brought up something as well about kind of um, that you know, they could do a pay-per-view option, I think, that the counties could do a pay-per-view option for club games. And you know, like, that maybe that doesn't happen everywhere, but it does happen in a lot of counties, like Mayo included already, and it's it's definitely been successful. So, like, if if counties aren't already considering that kind of for their club championships for, for this season, I, I think it, it, it's something they could definitely take on board. Yeah, exactly. So not much to say left on that, Connor. Conan, uh, obvious but sensible stuff from Pat Spillane this week, such, which is nice to see. And didn't speak about himself really um, in, in the piece at all. No quotes, disappointed. 
<laughs> no, no quote either. Yeah, maybe he listens to us. Maybe he listens to us and he's taken some of this feedback. But I would say that it wasn't very constructive feedback, really. But I suppose maybe this week um, we're a little bit. Uh, listen, I read it and I agreed with everything in it, and it, you know it, it seemed to be fairly sensible. Nothing that hasn't been said before. Um, you would say. Uh, f- finally, lads in the sun. Jason Byrne has an interview with Jerry Egan from from Westmead. Um, He's just coming back from a cruciate um, injury. I thought it was interesting that he works in a nursing home. You know, like, I mean, the whole the whole COVID crisis has given people a different perspective. I work full time at Bethany Nursing Home in Terrell's Pass. And thankfully, we've been COVID free. It keeps me in a good routine and I'm very grateful for it. So he's been working right throughout it in a very, very high risk um, area. And the nursing home has stayed corona free, which is unusual, I suppose, in this country, um, lads. But I just thought... I don't know. I don't associate Gaelic footballers with working in nursing homes. I don't know if I'm just being having some stereotype in my head here, Colin. No, I, I definitely did think the same. I was like, oh, working in a nursing home, and then it's that, that part of here is like, okay, Colin, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Like I was like, Jesus, fair play to him. And again, good piece. And like, I actually liked the way it went. Um, it went into that 2015 game, wasn't it against me? Even like just a a nostalgia in it, yeah. Yeah, and a good couple of like quotes from Jerry and himself talking about thinking the manager was mad for saying they were going to beat Meave in the Leicester semi-final at the start of the year. And it's like, Jesus, like, West Meave were a Division 1 team the year before that, you know, but still had that thing about Meave. It was, uh, yeah, I don't know, it was, it was just good honesty from them. No, well, that's true. It, it, it kind of shocked me a little bit that it would be almost in disbelief that a manager was telling you that you're going to beat a team that was, I'd say, playing in a division below you at the time. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It just shows that inferiority complex West Meath had with me, they'd never beaten them in the championship, and you you, you think back to the Desi Dolan um, free, you know, which was which was incredible. I'm fairly sure that was against me. Jeez, please tell me it was against me. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was last. Short, week. Yeah. Draw that match, and it was to win it, and he dropped it short. That was it. No, he put it wide. He put it wide on the right hand side. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he 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 pushed it out to the right. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that that was definitely something that uh, jumped out at me, Connor. Yeah, that that too, and like I was just thinking when when Conor when you mentioned working in a nursing home, I I think I found out more about GA players' professions during the COVID pandemic, COVID pandemic than I have before. Like Ryan Wiley, I think is a radiologist, as far as I know. Like especially the ones that have been involved in the in the kind of battle against COVID nineteen. So good to hear that. Um, good to hear that the nursing home in Terrell's Pass is is free as well. But that game as well, I never forget. Like it, if imagine Tom Cribben kind of instilling that belief in you beforehand, and then you're down. I think nine points at half time. And you're thinking, what is this fella talking about? <laughs> you know, but then the comeback, the comeback was incredible, um, and the reaction at the time was incredible as well. But I, I, I couldn't believe when when Jerry Egan mentioned that it was five years ago. It seemed it seems like only last year, the year before. But yeah, it was a good piece. Yeah, it was one, of, or they were relegated to Division Three that year. So Cribbins telling them they're going to beat me. Then they go out and get relegated to Division Three, and then they're nine <laughs> points down at halftime because it was like, what is this lad all about? But some, <laughs> somehow they found a belief from somewhere. I was on the sideline for News Talk for that game, lads. It's one of the best games I've ever been at for for excitement and you know, chewing and throwing kind of thing and comebacks and stuff like that. Right, we'll leave it there, um, lads. So we'll. We'll be back on Thursday and we'll see what kind of show we're going to do then. So great stuff and we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. 
but it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.